Welcome to Three Strands Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you're here today and you're married or you're single or you're divorced or you're widowed. Maybe you've decided already that this isn't going to be for you today. I hope not. I hope Opie convinced you earlier. I hope I can convince you now, but um, let's just shout out to some of those groups here for a second. If you're here and you're married, everybody in the room that's married, been married for longer than a minute, can relate to some of that video we just watched there, but, um, and so uh, I want you to get some freedom today, okay? And Jesus knew you would be here, so if you've come in and you feel stuck or you feel like strangers in the same house, you're in the right spot. And I hope you'll hear some truth from God today that'll set you free. I hope you'll feel some grace um, from God that'll um, encourage your heart before you leave. If you're here today and you're single, I need you to know that most of you are going to be married at some point, the statistics say. And if you believe, I think this is maybe like the greatest like, lie that single people believe. If I can go back to my single days for you for a second. The greatest lie I think most single people believe is that whatever it is, It'll get better when you get married. <laughs> it's like, okay. So everybody in the room that's married knows that, like, that could not be further from the truth. So marriage actually magnifies everything that's wrong about you and them, okay? So anything that you think right now is going to get better when you get married, it's going to get worse, okay? Who wants to get married now? You're excited and encouraged? Um, the other thing, too, is, like, I think almost every single person kind of has this thought inside their head, like, that there's some things about themselves that they'd like to change, and they'll change those things once they get married. That also doesn't happen, okay, just for the record. So whatever's messed up about you that you would like to be better won't get better because you say, I do. It might get worse, okay? So um, the idea that, like, you're waiting till you get married to put into practice God's principles for what it takes to have a healthy, successful marriage Good luck with that, like the NBA player that won't practice, talking about practice, or, you know, like the the student that just doesn't ever study, just thinks like, well, I'll just get it all like right on the test anyhow, like, "Eh, it's pretty rare, pretty rare that you're a successful athlete without practice, pretty successful that you're a successful student without, uh, pretty rare that you're a successful student without study, pretty rare that you're going to have a successful marriage without putting into practice some of these things um, ahead of time. And so if you're single, you should be working on everything God says to be a good spouse right now. And if you're not, you're putting yourself, you're putting your marriage behind the eight ball. The odds are 50% of the marriages in this country end in divorce. That number is actually higher if you take into account that over the last 30 years in our culture, marriage has become less and less relevant, and more and more people have just decided to cohabitate. So if you add those people in, if you add into the equation all the people that live together, the divorce rate in the United States would actually be somewhere around 70% right now. 70% of couples who get married or move in together, that all ends and they split up. So the odds are against you, okay? We can flip the script today. We can put the odds ever in your favor, all right? We can change all that today for you. And uh, I'm not going to do it, and you're not going to tough your way through it, and um, you're not going to figure it out on your own, and we won't even be able to group think it together. But God has some instruction that will change all of it for us. And I want to share that with you today. If you're here today and you're 
um, widowed or you're divorced and your attitude is kind of like, I'm never getting married again or whatever, you know. Uh, maybe you will, maybe you won't, but there's a good chance in the next week or two weeks or month, you're going to run into somebody who's married that could use some advice. Wouldn't it be good if you didn't have to give him the old like, you ought to go talk to my preacher answer and instead just be like, let me tell you what God has to say about your marriage, right? And you could actually give him some advice or help him. And so uh, whether you're married, single, um, going to be married someday, um, never going to be married again, you might be just running into, this might be exactly what you need to hear today, or it might be exactly the thing that somebody you're going to talk to in the next couple of weeks needs to hear. And so for each of us, there's some truth today that we can grab onto, we can put into practice um, when we leave here, and I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll kind of be part of that adventure with me and uh, hear what God has to say and not just listen to it, but go out of here and do what God's telling us to do. And so if you feel like that video we watched, empty, if you're running on fumes, that's what this series is all about. For the next five weeks, we're going to take a different piece of life each week that people tend to run out of gas in, okay? Marriage is just the first one. And um, the other ones might like hit a little closer to home for you, um, but really all of them we all need. And so um, I hope you'll kind of tune in and fill up on God. Fill up on what God says in these areas. Refuel your life and go out of here and be energized to live the kind of life God wants you to live. God doesn't want the word to, that describes you to be empty. In fact, Jesus said, I've come to give you a rich and satisfying life. I've come to give you a full life. I've come to give you an abundant life. And so he doesn't want the word that describes you to be empty or, or running on fumes. He wants the word to be like full, vibrant, exciting, abundant life. And so you can have that. If you think like it's too late, it's not too late. If you think like my marriage is dead and over, it's not dead and over. If you're here today and you're thinking like, but I'm already divorced and I'm used goods or it's never going to be the way it was supposed to be, it's not too late for that either. Like God's got you. He's not shocked. He's not surprised. Your divorce, your relationship failure, your strangers in the same house mentality at home doesn't take God by surprise. He's not sitting up there thinking like, well, now the whole plan's screwed up because I didn't see that one coming. And he knew you'd be here today to hear what we're going to talk about. And so will you just kind of like open your heart, open your ears, not block it out, not conclude before we even start that this isn't for you, it's for somebody else, or maybe that it's for my spouse but that you would just have ears to hear and you'd take some notes. You'd jot something down. You'd commit something to memory. Take one piece away with you today that could change your life, that could change the percentages, that could totally rewrite the history of your family tree. Would you do that? That's my encouragement for you, that God has truth and grace for you today. It might just be what you needed, even though it wasn't what you were looking for when you came. So let me start today in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus gives this uh, interesting summation on marriage in Matthew chapter 19. I'm just going to read you two verses out of a paraphrase, not the, not the actual Bible, but you can look it up on your own if you want to read the actual text. But Matthew chapter 19, I'm going to read you verses 11 and 12 out of the message translation of the Bible. Here's what Jesus said about marriage. Ready? Jesus said, not everyone is mature enough to live a married life. Preach. Right? That's right. Some of you are like, I know that. Uh, it requires a certain aptitude and grace. Marriage isn't for everyone. Some from birth seemingly never give marriage a thought. Others never get asked or accepted. And some decide not to get married, married for kingdom reasons. But if you are capable of, love this phrase, if you are capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, do it. 
I need you to know marriage is like a big deal. Like, I don't care if you think you've dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, like, ah, we've been dating for 38 years. We're ready to get married. Like, we've been living together. We know everything about each other. I've watched a lot of marriages fall apart. I now know what not to do. Just listen. You're not ready. You're never ready, right? Uh, anybody ever watch uh, the cartoon movie just came out a few years ago, Onward? Anybody ever see Onward, the Pixar movie or whatever it came out? So on Onward, like, the kid's driving the car, and he's not old enough to drive, and his older brother's, like, beside him who can drive. And he's like, merge, merge. And, the, and, the older bro- <laughs> and he's like, I'm not ready. And the older brother yells, you're never ready. He just jerks the wheel into the highway. That's what marriage is like. I don't care how much preparation you do, how much premarital counseling you go to, how many books you read or seminars you attend. When you say, I do, you're not ready for what's next. But God's ready. He knows what's next. You can't like pull one over on him. He's got good advice for you still. And it is this large thing. It's not discouraged, not necessarily encouraged, just like kind of letting you know it's a big deal. And so if you're ready, go for it. Go for it. So let's go for it. So I want to read you a verse from Proverbs from Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Or if Brad was preaching, it'd be the wisest man besides Jesus who ever lived. He said that like three times last week, I think. I never heard that before, but I like that. Yep. So uh, the wisest man who ever lived besides Jesus, that's good. And uh, Proverbs chapter 24, I'm going to read you two verses out there. If you're a note taker, just jot, jot down three words. I think I got them underlined. You ready? A house is built by wisdom. I do. A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through understanding. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. And I'm here to tell you today, you want a home that's been built well. You want a marriage that's strong, and you want a family that's got a bunch of riches and valuables poured into it. And nowhere in that verse does it say any of that comes because they're hot. Just throwing that out there. Like, I'm not saying you should marry somebody that's ugly. I'm just saying that isn't, like, important to God, right? It should be probably important to you, right? There's nothing in there that talks about passion or stick-to-itiveness or your effort or your intelligence. No, it's just knowledge plus understanding, plus wisdom. There's a lot of people out there that have some knowledge about marriage, but they just don't understand what it all means. There's a lot of people out there that understand what it all means. They could tell you what a great marriage looks like. They could tell you how to understand it, but they don't have the wisdom to put it into practice. You get it? You got to know some stuff about marriage, but then you also have to understand that stuff. And then you also got to have like the kind of, you know, wisdom to to do it. There's a lot of people that know what marriage is supposed to be like. They just won't do it, right? And so you got to have kind of all three of those components. I love that passage, so I wanted to share it with you today. But what I'd like to do is just give you a few indicators that your marriage might be running on fumes. Can I do that? All right, so if you can be super honest with yourself and grade yourself on this and kind of evaluate your own marriage and your own relationship and the way you are as a single person, how you interact with some of these things. If you'll do that, honestly, I promise not to like come around the room, call you out and grade you. How's that sound? Is that good? I won't do that. Okay. I won't do that. Like somebody's here like kind of new and they're like, I'm out of here if they do that. You know, like we're not going to do that. So, but if you can be honest with yourself, I promise it'll benefit you in the long run. So let me give you just a few indicators that your marriage might be running on fumes and you can kind of evaluate yourself, right? Here's the first one. When desires become demands. Now, all of us go into marriage with certain expectations, okay? 
And if you're here and you're single, you got some expectations of what you think marriage or the next marriage is going to look like, okay? And all of us in marriage now, we have some expectations on that marriage too, what we want it to look like, what we hope it'll be, what we think it's supposed to be. We come into marriage with these expectations, things like how we're going to spend our free time, what vacations will be like, how we're going to handle our finances, what will the approach to raising the kids be, how many times a year we'll have to visit the in-laws. Everybody has expectations, right? <laughs> Kobe's back there sitting by his in-laws. So, so <laughs> that just made me laugh. Sorry, man. So, uh, and so everybody comes into marriage with those expectations. That's okay. It's okay to have expectations. It's okay to have desires. But somewhere along the way, those desires start to become demands. And if they don't get met, you know, and you start to lose it. You start to get angry. You start to get discouraged and frustrated. You start to think to yourself things like, did I even marry the right person? I mean, how could they act like that? How could they not see it that way? You have all these dreams, hopes, expectations. The Bible says it like this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so in order to get what I want, what I believe I need what I expect out of marriage, maybe even what I'm convinced I deserve, I start to demand what I desire. I'm going to put my foot down. I'm going to lay down the law. I'm going to just tell you how it is. And if those expectations still go unmet, then you start to think, do I even want to be married anymore? Did I, did I marry the wrong person? See, demanding your own way actually blocks your gratitude. It, because you're never grateful for what you think you deserve. Does that make sense? You're only grateful for stuff you get that you don't think you deserve. So if you think you deserve to have that person follow your every command, then you're never going to be grateful for them or the relationship. So you start to demand your own way. Maybe if this is you, you can kind of identify in your life because here you go, you fight about everything. If everything's a fight, and nothing ever seems to be good enough. If that's you, I want to just tell you today, you're probably running on fumes. It doesn't make you the devil. It just makes it real. Maybe you already know you're running on fumes. Here's the second indicator you might be running on fumes. Ready? Differences become dividers. When differences become dividers. So the person you married is not just like you, obviously. None of, no two people are exactly alike. But when you get married, you find out they're even more different than you thought. And, and isn't it ironic how, like, the things that you thought were, like, super cute and attractive when you were dating somebody kind of disgust you after you get married? Isn't that crazy? I went through yesterday and just made a quick, like, 10-thing list. All right? Now, there's probably hundreds that could go on this list. But tell me if this isn't the truth. Like, things that you kind of, like, thought were cool when you were dating, but then you get married and, like, you hate them. It's like when you're dating, she's so wise with money, and you're like, I like that. And then you get married, and it's like, she won't let me ever buy anything, and you're ticked off, right? Isn't that how it goes? Or he's such a free spirit when we're dating, but then when you're married, he's so irresponsible, right? And when you're dating, she's like such a strong woman. I love that about her. And then you get married, and it's like, gosh, she's so controlling, Right? And when you're dating, he always has a plan, but then when you get married, you realize he's really manipulative. 
And when you're dating, she helps you remember all kinds of things. But when you get married, she's always nagging you, right? When you're dating, he's super laid back. But then you get married and you realize he's lazy, right? When you're dating, she's so confident. But then you get married and you're like, she thinks she knows everything. When you're dating, he's so mysterious. But then when you get married, he won't seem to talk to me about anything, right? When you're dating, she's so witty. And when you're married, she's so disrespectful. When you're dating, he's a hard worker. And when you're married, he's a workaholic. It's crazy how like the exact same trait can be something that you love in somebody. And then just not even a year later, it it disgusts you in them, right? There are differences. And what used to be like cute and adorable is now like super frustrating and annoying. I love the quote from Jenny Allen's book, Find Your People. There's a study on Right Now Media, that book too. But she said, uh, I will disappoint you and you will disappoint me, but Jesus will never disappoint us. Guess who brings disappointments and discouragements and differences into a marriage? All of us. Every single one of us. And so if this is you, if the differences have become things that now aren't just cute and aren't just like kind of like, ah, that's their unique way, but instead they've divided you to where you kind of like separate. Now you're not separated, but you kind of start separating. You find things to do because being around them starts to annoy you. Being around them, you can't put up with the differences anymore. And so you spend way more time in the garage on the car or at the golf course hitting a bucket of balls with your buddies. Or you spend way more time shopping with your sister or, you know, taking care of the kids because, you know, just to be around them almost like makes you want to throw up now. It's like that's your spouse. And you used to think those things were awesome, but now they're just differences. And all of a sudden you start to feel like strangers in the same house. Indicator number three, you Ready? disappointments become depression. We're all going to disappoint each other. But somewhere along the way, those disappointments don't just affect you. They start to depress you. You sit around, you start to feel hopeless, you lose drive. It's hard for you to even leave the house anymore. You're so discouraged by your relationship. This is an indicator you're running on fumes. Instead of dealing with those disappointments, we just retreat within ourselves We shut down and we stop really living. If this is you, you might kind of often feel like, I just want to give up. I just feel hopeless. Love, real love, feels a million miles away now. Indicators. I don't know. It's one or more of those true. I just want to ask you, how's your marriage? If you were sizing it up based on these three things, how are we doing? Like one good day a week? Haven't had a good day in months, years? How's it going for you? I just want to take you real quick to this passage in John chapter 13 where Jesus is with his closest followers and um, he's about to teach them some important life lessons. And uh, they're at this table and Jesus gets up from the table and he takes off his outer coat and he ties a towel around himself. And then he takes some water and he gets down on his knees in front of his followers and he starts to wash their feet. That doesn't make any sense. Now, we don't do that today in our culture, but if you could put yourself 2,000 years ago in Israel, that was a common hospitality practice to wash people's feet because their roads were dusty and the common footwear was sandals, right? And so you got, you know, 
horse manure and dust and mud and who knows what on the roads and people are walking around in open-toed sandals. So they come into your house and maybe out of courtesy, maybe just because you don't want them trompsing through your house with whatever they got on their sandals, but it would be a common practice to have them take off their sandals and you would wash their feet. But you wouldn't do it yourself typically. They would do it themselves. Or if you were a wealthier family, you might have one of your servants do it. You know? And so here Jesus, the master... The teacher, the one who should be getting the special treatment, gets up from the table and gets down on his knees, starts washing their feet. Now, I'll tell you that backstory because later in that same chapter, you get to verse 34, and Jesus says something fascinating to them. This is what he says, ready? He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another just like I have loved you. You should love one another. Now, now stay with me for a second. The new commandment that he's giving them is not to love one another. That, that commandment had been around for thousands of years. You're supposed to love other people. God gave us that way back at the giving of the Ten Commandments and the Law of Moses and all that. Like, hey, love your neighbor like you love yourself. The, the new commandment here is not to love other people. The new commandment here is to love other people like Jesus had loved them by not expecting his own way, by not expecting them to serve him, but instead, as the one who deserved all the service, he would instead serve them. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's the new commandment here. That's what real love looks like. That you wouldn't just love other people, but you would love them the way Jesus has loved us as somebody who's willing to serve to the point of death for us, even though we don't deserve it, even though he deserves to be served by us. You get it? That's the new commandment here. It often gets overlooked, and people are like, yeah, go love other people, but my loving people like that? Are they coming over to my house for dinner, and I'm like, honey, get the dinner ready. The guests are here. Or am I getting up and lending a hand? You understand the difference? There's loving people, and then there's loving people where it like costs me something. It hurts. It's serving. It's sacrifice. It's giving of myself, even if they don't deserve it. I know they're just little kids, and they should be serving you, but I'm just going to make it my mission to serve and love on them. Right? Did you have kids so that they could work at your house? Or did you have kids so you could practice serving them? Did you get married so your spouse could wait on you hand and foot? Or did you get married so you could give up your very life for them? That's what real love looks like in the Bible. That's what God's saying real love actually is. Love them like I've loved you. Paul writes it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not rude or Jealous or boastful or proud, it does not demand its own way. And I'll just leave that up there just for a second. You remember what those three indicators were? Where desires become demands, differences become dividers, and disappointments become depression? I just can't take it anymore. I just can't continue to have them disappoint me anymore. But I thought love was patient and kind. I just can't deal with all their differences. I, they, they're just not enough like me. They, I'm, always, I'm right about this stuff. Why can't they be more like me? But I thought love wasn't rude or convinced they were always right or proud. 
I know these are my desires, but they should be serving my desires, right? I mean, they said they do. I thought love does not demand its own way. This is what Paul wrote about it. Here's how Peter wrote it in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 5. Listen to this. All of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Can you go back to verse 5 just for a second? And I just want to ask you, is it possible? Is it possible? If we for just a second could stop looking at the speck in our spouse's eye, in our boyfriend's eye, our girlfriend's eye, in our friend's eyes. We could just stop looking at the speck sticking in their eye for a second and just like for a second focus on the tree trunk sticking out of our own eye. Is it possible that in your relationship, God is opposing you? Like actively working against you because you won't dress yourself in humility. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I mean, is that there or not? Like, is it possible? I'm just asking, is it possible that I've been demanding my desires? That I've been looking at our differences and letting them divide us? And that every time they disappoint me, it throws me into depression and I get hopeless? Is it possible that my running on fumes attempt at this marriage or this relationship is causing God to oppose me? Then go back to verse 6. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. At the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Now the problem with that verse right there, like if I could, you know how I say that sometimes, like if I could rewrite the Bible, like if I was God, it'd be bad for all of you, but it'd be really good for me, you know what I mean? So, but if I could rewrite the Bible, this verse would say, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and when you're ready, he'll lift you up in honor. Like when I'm ready, you know. But it doesn't say it, but it says at the right time. And the problem with God's right time is it's rarely the time I'd pick. So, so Peter had to write verse 7. So verse 7, what comes next, says this. So give all your worries and cares to God because he cares about you. Now the reason verse 7 had to be written is because verse 6 got written. See, if I'm going to dress myself in humility, if I'm going to clothe myself in a humble life, if I'm going to serve my spouse, and I'm going to wait for God to lift me up in honor at the exact right time, it's going to take too long for me. And, and, and because it doesn't come fast enough, I'm going to get upset. I'm going to be, goodness, God, are you ever going to reward me for serving them? Are you ever going to come to my rescue and my defense? Are you ever going to elevate me to a place of honor for the way I'm living in this marriage? I mean, don't you see how they're treating me? Don't you see how bad it is? This is taking too long. They're walking all over me. All right, I get it that you're going to feel that way. So that's why I got to give God all my worries and my cares because it's going to make me anxious. See, if you marry, you're going to have trouble. That's what the Bible says. I mean, I wish it, I wish it didn't. I wish the Bible said if you married, it's all going to be a bed of roses. But it isn't what the Bible says. What God tells us is if you marry, you're going to have trouble of course, he goes on to say, like, take some heart. I've overcome all the trouble you're going to face. And so we give all of our anxiety and our worries to God because it's taken a little longer than we'd like it to take. I need a volunteer. Can you guys volunteer for a second? This is going to be even sketchier than usual because I need Chelsea to pretend to be my wife for a second. So if you can both come up here for a second. 
Let's see if we can do this here. Chelsea, can you just stand right here? Okay. I know. My wife's not in here, so I couldn't pick her. It wasn't like we're fighting. It's just she's in the kids' class today. And you just face this way. And then can you just stand right behind her? And do your best to hide behind her. Can you do, I know you're, you're a towering man, a mountain of a man, the macho man would say. But Okay. And so uh, th- this is where, like, if I'm really going to love my wife, for, for the next three minutes, Chelsea's my wife, okay? <laughs> now somebody is going to say we're a cult, you know? But uh, so... Uh, <laughs> okay, so if I'm really going to love my wife the way Jesus says to love them, and if I'm going to love the way Paul described it in 1 Corinthians um, 13, and if I'm going to really love my spouse the way Peter describes it in 1 Peter 5, then what that looks like is I come up to her and I feel inside like I have desires she's not meeting. Okay? And she has differences that annoy the heck out of me. And, 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 like, she disappoints me all the time. And what I want to do is come up to her and tell her how she's wronged me. And I want to tell her how she's screwing up a lot of stuff and needs to do it the right way. And, and I want to let her know that the differences we have aren't just different, they're wrong. But what I do instead is I get down on my knees and I tie that towel around my waist and I wash her feet. You get it? Now her feet probably aren't dirty. She does have sandals on, but there's, there's pavement now. So, But figuratively, I wash her feet. I serve her. I, I don't know what that looks like for you. You know what that looks like. You know what it looks like to, to put somebody else's needs and interests above your own. That's love. And, and you might be sitting there thinking, like, I can't do that. You don't know what my marriage is like. You don't know what my relationships are like. You don't know what my past is. You don't know the baggage I bring into this thing and, and how it, it scares me and hurts me when they don't uh, meet my desires and how those, are, those disappointments bring up a lot of past memories in my life. And I can't do that. And, and, and I want to say to you today, like, you're right. You can't do that. Like, I can't do that. It's impossible. Okay, now, now can you stand up, Michael? If you can get your knees, like, locked up on you. You can stand. Now stay there a second, okay? Now Michael is not Chelsea's husband because I'm Chelsea's husband right now, okay? They, they're not together anymore, okay? So spread that around. But no, I'm just kidding. Don't spread that around, okay? So right now, Michael's playing his standard Sunday morning role at our church, which is Jesus. He, he's always my example of Jesus because he's always in the front. So, and he's got a beard. So, uh, so that's Jesus. So I can't do that. I, I can't. The me inside of me wants to demand my desires. It wants to uh, get away from her when we're different. And, and, it, and it wants to like bash her over the head about all the disappointments and, and let her know how she's wronged me. So I get down on my knees to serve her and I'm thinking, I can't do this. And so what you have to do if you're gonna actually love your spouse is you have to ignore them. And, and I look past her and I see Jesus standing behind her. And I can do that stuff to him because he's never disappointed me. And, and any difference that I have with him, I should change. And he's right. And all of the desires that I have, the, the expectations and the things I want met, I give those to Jesus. And I'm like, no, not my will, but your will. I can do that to Jesus. And so I get down on my knees and I look past my spouse and everything I do isn't for them anymore. This is the mistake like we make in marriage. Like, I took some vows to my wife. No, I didn't. I took some vows to God. 
And if you took vows to your wife or to your husband, you're going to break them because they don't deserve them, no matter how great they are. But Jesus does deserve them. And so what you need is not another promise, not another commitment to her, to him. What you need is a vow, a covenant, not, not a contract. I think so many people look at marriage like a contract. A contract is all about protecting my rights. A covenant is about giving up my rights and making a promise. But the promise has to be made past my spouse to Jesus. You guys can sit down. Thank you. It was super helpful. Do you get it? It's, it's real love is when I commit to trust God, not my spouse, not my boyfriend or girlfriend, not my friends, not my parents. I'm going to give up on all that. So let me kind of leave you today with three kind of practical tips you can go out of here and like fuel up your marriage with. If you're single, these are things you should be working on right now. If you're wanting to be remarried again, these are things you should be putting into practice right now. If you're wanting to give people sound advice for their marriage, these are things you should be um, committing to memory right now. Here's how you refuel your marriage. You ready? Number one, surrender your expectations. Surrender your expectations. Much like when you became a Christian, when you got married, you were dying to yourself. So you give up your rights. You give up your expectations. Let me read you how Jesus did that. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now here's the attitude he had. You ready? Verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He was God. He deserved equality with God. He deserved the riches of heaven. But instead, he gave all of that up. He gave up his divine privileges. And he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Humility, uh, being a slave, serving others, it could cost you your life. But that's okay. That's okay. Because that's what real love is. No greater love does someone have that they'd be willing, than they would be willing to lay down their life for someone else. That is like the ultimate act of love. So whatever it costs me, I surrender my expectations. You want to make the quickest impact on your marriage you can? Go out of here today. Just start serving the other person. There's nothing that will more quickly make a positive impact on your marriage than just starting to serve the other one. They'll be like confused. Be like, what are you doing? I think something's wrong. Just start serving them. Just start doing stuff for them, whether they want you to or not. Oh, okay, just go on and do something else. Just keep serving them. Just keep serving them. Surrender your expectations. I'm not in it to get. I'm in it to give. Number two, honor your differences. All those things that are annoying to you and unique about them, start to compliment them about some of those things. Whew. It's hard to hate somebody you're thankful for. Start to compliment them about some of those things. Start to thank God for making them different than you because you'd be more miserable if they were just like you. You'd get real annoyed then and start to compliment the things that make them unique. Just try it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe God's way won't work, but just give it a shot. See if it works. Let me read you Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. 
I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. Then down in verse 9, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. This is respect. It's giving the other person respect. Here's the third one. You ready? Practice forgiveness. You know, you will, you will not find a couple that's been married 50 years and has a healthy marriage that hasn't learned how to forgive each other pretty quick. That's like a crucial key to a good marriage. Be quick forgivers. Choose to become that kind of forgiver. Proverbs chapter 130, verses 3 and 4 says this, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O oh Lord, could ever survive? But instead, you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear, to respect to honor you. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Put all those in the closet. That's how I really feel. Well, you don't have to say everything you're thinking. Who, who told you that? Just be quiet. Say something kind instead. Didn't your mom ever teach that when you were growing up? So if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Like it's in God's word, right? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all other types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You get it? Surrender your expectations. Honor your differences. Practice forgiveness. Now, those three things are going to be hard to do if you're demanding your desires if you keep walking away from them because they're different <laughs> and hiding, and if you keep getting like overwhelmed with hopelessness every time they disappoint you, they're going to disappoint you. It's what we do. It's what humans do. We're going to disappoint each other. Forgive them quick. Give up all your rights and expectations. Honor the fact that they're unique and different. You see where we're going with this? Probably the, I don't know, kind of like pinnacle or quintessential chapter in the Bible on marriage. Maybe 1 Corinthians 13 because it talks all about love. But um, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, especially the second half of Ephesians chapter 5. And Paul writes in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5, this little phrase, like super helpful. Look, submit to one another because they deserve it, because they're so gorgeous, because I said I do. No, submit to one another out of my reverence, my respect, my honor, my love, my fear for Christ. You see what he's saying there? He's like, you got to get down on your knee. You got to serve your spouse. But the only way you're going to be able to do that is to look past them and do it for Jesus. Do you get it? Do you get what we're talking about today? It's not about changing them. It's about changing me. I know that's disappointing to a lot of us. Because we're convinced if they'd just change, things would be better. Not according to God's plan. According to God's plan, it's not about changing them. It's about changing me. You don't understand, but, but they're sinning. God understands sin. <laughs> what are you talking about? He knows. It's just not your job to make them stop sinning. When did you become the Holy Spirit? You trust the Lord to change them. You don't have to change somebody. When did it become our job to change other people? I, I work on me. 
You don't understand how immature they are and, and, and how they're going to like walk all over me if I serve them all the time and I forgive them for whatever they do. Like, you don't understand how immature they are. Like, yes, I do. What are you talking about? I'm married. I know what it's like to be married. Even if I didn't, you think God doesn't know what immaturity looks like? We're all immature. When the doors get closed and we're at home, all of us are immature. No matter how mature you think somebody is, how godly you think they are, I'm telling you, when we're at home, when you're at home and the doors are closed, we're all immature brats. All of us. If it's not about me changing them, it's about me changing me. I can give you the key to a successful marriage. You ready? I'm just going to sum it up for you. Give me give you the key. You ready? Here's the key to a successful marriage. You ready? I brought two things today. Actually, I borrowed them from two different people, but here's the first key. It's kind of a two-part thing. You ready? Stop walking around with this. You ready? And start walking around with this. Okay? We need less magnifying glasses and more mirrors in our marriage. You ready? And if you're here and you're single, it's like you need the exact same thing. Stop checking everybody out, seeing what's wrong with them, letting them know what they need to change. What am I trying to say? Like, if you're dating and your relationship is all about you, like, fixing the other person, I'm just telling you again, when you say I do, it's not going to change. All right? If your goal in dating is to mold that person into the right person they should be, give up now. Just walk away. You, you might as well just already sign the divorce papers. You got to put down the magnifying glass and walk around with the mirror. Man, what do I need to change today? Look at me. I'm not serving anybody today. If you're dating somebody that won't serve in their church, good luck getting them to serve you after you get married. Good luck. But they told me they were a Christian. Well, everybody in McCreary County says they're a Christian. Atheists in McCreary County say they're Christians. They don't even know what that means. If they won't serve other people in their church, they're not going to serve you after they say, I do. Trust me. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't get easier when you get married. Less magnifying glasses, more mirrors. Spend less time trying to change your spouse and more, more time trying to change yourself. And if you're here and you're single, spend less time finding the one and more time becoming the one. I get so sick of the whole, like, I don't know if they're the right one or not. They're not the right one. You become the right one. God will bring the right one along. Like, just become the right person. Run as hard as you can after Jesus. And if they love Jesus and they're chasing after him, they'll catch you. There was a study that came out about a decade ago, I think 2012, from the University of Texas at San Antonio. Not a Christian school. But they did a research study on marriage. And I want to just give you a kind of... Uh, there was a lot of findings. I'm just going to give you one that like stuck out to me in reading through it this week. They did a study on marriage and what makes for a successful, happy marriage, right? There was a lot of things they looked at, a lot of factors that I could give you today. They were like, oh, it makes a lot of sense even from God's word. But there were a few that like were just like mind-boggling. Here, here you go, you ready? Of the couples they surveyed, and it was like 1,500 couples or something they studied. Of the couples they studied, if the couples went to church together. You ready? Went to church together at least four out of every five weeks. Okay? So they were in church at least 80% of the time. At least four out of every five weeks. And if they read their Bible and prayed together at least five out of seven days of the week. Now, that's a high standard because the statistics also show only 4% of people who say they're Christians do those two things. 
you know? It's like, so, but of the couples that went to church together, four out of five, at least four out of five weeks, every week, every four out of five weeks, and read the Bible and prayed together at least five out of seven days, you ready? The divorce rate among those couples was less than 1%. And we're talking about like a near 70% divorce rate in our culture, if you include like cohabitation couples. Now, listen, listen carefully for a second, because what this study missed, because they're not Christians, not really looking into God's word and all that, like what this study missed is like reading your Bible together and praying together and going to church together won't keep your marriage from ending in divorce. But those three things indicate lives that are in surrender to Jesus. You get it? What those three things indicate is a couple that is moving in the direction of whatever Jesus wants for my life I'm going to do. And that's what will keep your marriage together. The divorce rate inside the church is identical to the divorce rate in the world. Because people come to church and don't love Jesus. Walking through the doors of a building doesn't mean you love Jesus. Do you get it? You could flip the script on your marriage today. The Jesus way, it works. That's it. It's like that simple. What could you do? You could go out of here today and be like, we're going to be at church every week, honey, because I'm going to start leading my family. You'd be like, hey, can we read the Bible together every day? It's so, it's so awkward. I, who, every, of course it's awkward. Who cares if it's awkward? Are we men and women or are we babies? I don't like to pray in front of my spouse. Grow up. Of course it's awkward. It's awkward for all of us. Listen, I'm the pastor of a church and I've been here for a decade. It's awkward for me to pray in front of my spouse. I'm just being real with you. Like, it's a little awkward. I'd rather pray in front of the whole church than sit down at home with Stephanie and like look her eye to eye. Like, it's just, it's awkward. I, I get it, but I just do it because I don't want to be divorced. I want to honor Jesus. I want to serve him. So I'm getting up every day and I'm going to read my Bible with my family. And it's awkward, and I'd rather do other stuff. Everybody would rather watch Sports Center than read the Bible. But I do it because I know it's good for me. Everybody would rather have junk food than vegetables. But I eat vegetables because they're good for me. You get it? You could change the whole thing today. You could rewrite your family tree. You could make a difference that would last through all eternity. Or you could just be a statistic. You could go out of here today and just start serving your spouse no matter what they do. You could start forgiving them no matter how bad it hurts. You could start complimenting them no matter how much they annoy you. You could find one thing you love about them today and just say something nice to them. It's that simple. The choice is yours. Can I pray for you? Because it's going to take courage to live that way. Dear God, thank you for our church family. Thank you for the people who are willing to show up today and hear what you have to say from your word. Thank you for showing it to me months ago. Um, that I would bring it to our group today. And God, would you just multiply your word in our, in our church family? We won't be able to tell. We won't be able to brag about all the marriages that have been saved. Or It's all preventative, God. We're going to do the work up front. We're going to practice ahead of time. We're going to enter into marriage healthy and ready. We're going to um, rescue our marriage now before it ends. And we're not going to be able to track it. And nobody will ever know except you. But that's okay. Because at just the right time, you'll lift us up in honor. God, would you give the people in this room the courage to not just hear your word today, but to go out and put it into practice, to serve other people, to practice reading your word, to practice praying, 
to practice coming to church, to practice forgiving, to practice giving up all their expectations, just taking the humble position of a servant. Not because any of us deserve it, but just because we're all looking past shoulders and seeing Jesus, who does deserve it, standing behind them. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than the life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.